Our scripture for tonight is a short passage, Luke, found in Luke chapter 2. And I'll begin at verse 8. Now there were, in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. May God bless the reading of his holy word. So tonight we gather once again to think about and rejoice in the birth of Jesus Christ. And in our message tonight, we're going to consider his glorious birth in the context of joy. We just read it in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, where the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There it is in verse 10. Great joy. Now, the Greek word for joy is karah. And I always thought the sound of karah really fit the meaning of joy. And it gives the idea of a loud trumpet giving out with that joyful sound, the karah, karah. And I've asked Rich if he would uh, show us what I'm talking about. Again, the idea of the karah, there it is. It's karah, and uh, it really expresses joy. And so... um, I thought it would be good for us to uh, learn the Greek words. In fact, what we're going to be doing, this is the first of many lessons I'm going to be teaching on with the Greek vocabulary. So I want you, there's going to be a quiz at the end of this sermon. And uh, this the, uh, you're going to have to know that great joy is mega karab. You're going to learn Greek tonight. Mega Karah. And our next lesson will be the next time I preach. They call me to preach here, and so uh, I'm only joking. There's not, not going to be any, any more Greek lessons. Or maybe I will bring up a Greek word, but uh, tonight we'll just concentrate on Mega. Actually, it's probably, we don't know really how they spoke it back then, but it was probably more like Mega Karah. Mega Karah. And, uh, the idea is uh, the the uh, with kara is is the it's a delightful joyous sound. It's something that really makes you feel good. And mega kara, you've heard of megaphones, right? Remember years ago the cheerleaders used to have those megaphones to amplify their voices. 
Uh, and uh, so it's uh, that mega, it's amplified, it's joy, yes, but it's mega joy. And uh, that's what it's talking about here, the angel's talking about. So, again, what is it? Mega kara, mega kara. Now, uh, keep that in your mind. I'm, uh, I, I'm, there's no quiz tonight, but next week, you better know it. And uh, the, uh, this whole idea of joy. Now, as, as I was thinking, I said, you know what? There's so many things, so much about joy in the Bible. God calls us to all various types of relationships and, and that relationships that we are to rejoice in. Now, some brothers and sisters are called to the single life. And God calls them to rejoice in serving Him in all the wonderful relationships they develop among their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, some of us are called to the marriage relationship, and God calls us to rejoice in serving Him as we lovingly nurture each other as husband and wife. You know, Proverbs 18:22 tells us, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I'm sorry to report, husbands, but I couldn't find a comparable verse about wives finding a good thing when they find a husband. It's just, there wasn't there. But I tried. But maybe our wives will have mercy on us and rejoice in us anyway, even though it's not commanded there. And uh, Now, one thing I do want to say, if the husband does what Ephesians 5 instructs him to do in his relationship with his wife, I'm sure she would rejoice in him. It's worth going over. Now, all kidding aside, over the years, how sad it has been for me to see husbands and wives who have not rejoiced in their loving and faithful spouses. They guided their lives more by worldly standards and even pop psychology expectations, or really some of their relationships reflected television sitcoms with, with all these uh, sarcastic remarks about this and about that. And it was uh, sarcastic attitudes rather than nurturing attitudes and words to build one another up in the relationship. So uh, may God give us all a, a, a marry, uh, all who are married a joyful and loving attitude in our marriages. And if counseling is necessary, it should be sought out and, and the, the, uh, this whole worldliness and, and uh, this uh, treating each other in the way the world treats each other in relationships, the marriage relationship should be done away with. And that can be done if counseling is necessary. Now those of us who are married and have been blessed with covenant children should rejoice in that wonderful blessing. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man 
who has a quiver full of them, happy having the idea of rejoicing. How often do we hear of the unbelieving people of the world abusing these gifts from God? We live in a world that murders unborn babies, thinks of excuses to murder unborn babies. They complain against what the Lord says is a blessing and what should cause us to rejoice. Because of their sin and the deception of Satan, they rejoice in what harms them and they reject what will bless them. We need God's word to tell us what should cause us to rejoice and how to rejoice. And as we go on, we see that God's word tells us that our rejoicing should be done in public. Deuteronomy 16, beginning of verse 10, tells us this. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, when you shall be careful to observe these statutes and, and there at the threshing floor and from your winepress. And you shall rejoice in your feast. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the works of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. Surely rejoice. Verses 11, 14, and 15 clearly tell us we are to rejoice. And did you notice something else? Rejoicing here is not an option. It is commanded by God. Deuteronomy 16, 11 says, You shall rejoice before the Lord your God in the presence of your family, and did you notice two times it said, and strangers who might be there in the public. And it's also interesting, these quotes about rejoicing are found in one of the books of the law. When we think of the book of Deuteronomy, we usually think of chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are written. It also contains many commands about sacrifices, feasts, and holy days. But we forget that rejoicing itself is commanded by God. I, uh, when I uh, first, uh, I was saved and I attended the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church up in Whitney when Pastor Bush was there. And he's home with the Lord now. 
But I remember, uh, for most of you, this is very, uh, it's obvious, you were raised with this, but it was the first time I'd heard uh, the question from the uh, Shorter Catechism, the first question and answer, what is the chief end of man? To glorify and to enjoy God forever. And I understood, yes, glorify, we should be worshiping him, but the and enjoy part, I never heard before. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, wow, enjoy. We're supposed to enjoy doing this. And what we were created to do, to glorify the living God who's revealed himself in the Bible. The God who is. Not the God of some man's imagination. Our own imaginations. And it's important that we see that believers being commanded to rejoice is not just something that happens in the Old Testament. In Matthew 5, 10 through 13, we read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And of course the Apostle Peter reminds us of this in 1 Peter 4, beginning of verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy, there it is again. Now it doesn't say mega joy there, but it's the same kind of meaning of mega joy. It's exceeding joy because we're persecuted for Christ's sake. And then, verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Oh, it's so easy for us to rejoice when things are going easy for us. But what happens when things get tough? We must remember that God uses our trials to draw us closer to himself. In faith, we draw close and also to confound the powers of darkness. When something bad is happening, Satan and the powers of darkness are there just as, a, as a Job's wife and telling us, oh, what, this is happening to you? Curse God and die. Just curse God and die. Complain. Shake your fist at God and die. He's there waiting. He wants you. And the unbelieving people around you, maybe relatives or who they might be old friends, they want you to curse God and die. Just curse God. But you won't do it. You realize this is part of being a Christian in this world. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If we're faithful to him, and we tell the truth about people's sin, and that he's the only way to salvation, 
They're going to persecute us. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the truth. And so we tell them, because we know that by God's grace, they might hear it. If the Holy Spirit works in them, they're going to see it and be saved. They're going to say, yes, I didn't see it before, but now. So how come I see it? Because the Holy Spirit has caused you to be born again in your soul. So now you see the truth, and the truth has set you free from your sin forever. And the um, some people who call themselves Christians may find the next thing the Bible tells us to rejoice in hard to believe. And uh, Psalm 119, uh, I'll begin there at verse 9, we find the words of a believer who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he tells us, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And then, all the way to 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, in the verse 110, uh, and 111 here, it says, The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. Listen here. For they are the rejoicing of my heart. That's the evidence. Jeremiah 31, talking about new hearts. And that's... Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 especially, it, it tells us that born-again believers will have God's commandments written upon their hearts. You know, there are professing Christians who believe that once a person becomes a born-again Christian, they can completely forget about God's commandments. But they should remember the words of the Holy Spirit-inspired psalmist that we just read, and also the words of Jesus in John fourteen fifteen, where he tells us that believers will exercise their newly created wills as they're born again to obey God's commands and even to rejoice in the commands. Eventually you get the understanding how sin is. It's like sometimes you hear about people cutting themselves and hurting themselves. It's a, a psychological uh, problem. And it's recognized as a psychological problem. But they don't realize that people don't realize that when they sin, they're, they're in a sense, cutting their souls. Cutting. Cutting. Cut, that's a, and, and you think about what, uh, when uh, you have a problem or something, how you put a healing balm, a cream of some sort, and it soothes the pain away from whatever it is. And that's what the commands are to us. They're like, they should be like a healing balm. We should run to them and not run away from them. And I speak as one who, 
ran away from them. I didn't even know them. I didn't know the Lord. I, I didn't know Scripture. I, I uh, was running to sin uh, with the other people of the world. And I thought the people like who I am now, there's something wrong with them. As they, as they look at my, my family looks at me and, and old friends, and they want nothing to do with me. Because I tell them about their sin and about Jesus, and, and I live for Christ. And that's the whole thing, to realize that we're light, we're, God has put us here as light. In fact, Jesus called, he's the light of the world, ultimately, but he said, you are the light of the world. And you know, darkness hates the light. And the people of the world live in darkness. And so uh, rejoice. Again, now look at that, the, uh, 111, verse 111. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Now, as believers in Christ, we know that it is the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience alone that is the basis of our salvation. Again, we have to be reminded week by week and day by day actually that of this truth that Jesus works alone. He died for our salvation. He takes our sin upon himself at the cross. It's uh, a way of uh, you think about uh, a uh, there's a, a, a 2,000 pound, one ton weight over your head. Uh, and that's your sin. And it's about to fall on you and crush you. And it's there, hanging over your head. Someone has to pay for your sins. And what happens is, Jesus takes you and takes you out from underneath that load of sin of yours. And he stands there in your place. And the weight of your sin fell upon him at the cross. He paid the full price for your sin. But even more than that, it's so wonderful. I, I, I remember embracing this one. I said, whoa, this is really something. His perfect righteousness is counted to you. He robes you as he pays for your sin. He robes you in his righteousness. So that we see our salvation is all of his grace. It's all his works on our behalf by his grace that saves us. Now what I'm talking about here in obedience and works, these now are the evidence of our salvation. We always have to make that clear. Never think that your works are, are in any way added to Jesus' works. No, his is perfect. It's, it's all his. And it all comes by faith and all by his grace. If you have any faith, as scripture tells us, it's a gift from God in Ephesians 2. He gave you the faith. He caused you to be born again. Because he's, what, what do we, in my prayer earlier, he's sovereign over it all. He decides who will be saved and other people he leaves them in their sins. And that's that. You say, well, what well, doesn't seem fair. He's God. 
You don't tell him what's fair and what's not fair. And so we have to always keep that in mind. Now much more could be said, but I'm trying to keep this short. So let's now go back to the Luke 2 passage. The good tidings, which I just went over, are the reason for the great joy, the mega kara. Now the new covenant is about to go from prophecy being foretold in the New Testament, of the Old Testament, and it's about to be fulfillment time in time space history. All of those prophecies that uh, was all about to come true. The dimension uh, of heaven opened and widely opened and the angels told, told, told everyone what was going to happen. Now people think about all these science fiction things and, and now... Uh, we have the, the scientists uh, thinking about, well, there's this dimension here and a dimension there. Well, there are basically, you can say, three dimensions. Ultimately, there's the dimension of heaven, the dimension of earth, and the dimension of hell. That's all the dimensions are there. And the dimension of heaven opened into the earth. And they were rejoiced. They were sharing. He said, he's coming. He's coming. He's, he's going to be born in that manger. It's God in the flesh. And they were rejoicing and sharing that with the shepherds. Not with the great kings of the earth, but with the shepherds. And, uh, and God chose to use Mary, not a queen of something, but just a humble Jewish woman who was of the seed of David, because the, uh, the, this is the throne of David that was promised. And he would be on the throne uh, of, of David forever. That's Jesus. He's of the, of the lineage of David through Mary. And so uh, it's all going to happen. And that's, that was an amazing thing that was happening. And while it, sometimes people don't, don't uh, celebrate Christmas because it isn't commanded that we celebrate it. But there's a sense in which uh, this is some amazing thing that happened. And while we're not commanded to celebrate it, we can't help it. It's, it's just you read scripture and you read what that I was talking about. The dimension of heaven opened and broke into the dimension of earth to announce these good tidings of mega karah. Right? I'm going to be testing you. Mega Karah. Remember. And a great joy. Good tidings of great joy. Now, if we don't have this great joy of eternal salvation in Jesus Christ, we ultimately can have no real God-glorifying joy in this world or the next. Now, we must recognize there, there are unbelievers out in the world who have happy marriages and who love their children. They have a, a common grace that God gives them. They may not even have the Bible, but the common grace. And they may have many material possessions. They're physically healthy. 
They are even law-abiding citizens who work hard and give to charity. They even have a type of rejoicing. Usually it's self-centered. And their rejoicing is fleeting. Fleeting. It's not truly Christ-centered rejoicing, and so it is not that mega karah, that great joy, of which the angels speak, which is eternal joy. The unbeliever's worldly joy passes away at their death, and then begins eternal torment. Then they will pay for their sins. On the other hand, you know something? There are true believers in Christ who have had their husband or wife leave them. They have had and still have serious illnesses. They have had much trouble with their children. They have had difficulty finding work. They don't have many material possessions, but by God's grace, they do have that great joy of which the angels spoke. They've been born again into the kingdom of God. And even with all the difficulties of this world that a believer may experience, they rejoice with great joy, mega karah, in their eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. The people of the world and the powers of darkness want them to complain against God, but their great joy is for now and forever. They've been given eyes to see what the greatest blessing is. Knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Never let go of that. That mega karah, that great joy. Brothers and sisters, as I'm coming to my closing now, let's remember the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke 10. Verses 17 through 20. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You're saved. That's what you need to rejoice in. Sometimes when the cares of this world overcome Christians, they can lose the joy they once had in their salvation. And apparently this even happened to an inspired psalmist. In Psalm 51.12 we read these words. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Brother, sister, if you have lost the joy of your salvation, ask God to restore it as did the psalmist. He wants you to rejoice in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, sometimes I think about the three times that God spoke from heaven. He couldn't contain himself. 
He loved Jesus so much and he was so pleased with his perfect life that three times from heaven God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He rejoiced in his Son. And we need to rejoice in his Son too. And remember this. He has really not moved away from you. But for some reason, something's gone wrong in your thinking. And you moved away from him. He's there. He will always uphold you with his generous spirit. Yes, brothers and sisters, no matter what else we rejoice in, as we go into this new year of 2022 and the rest of our lives, your greatest gift has already been given to you. By God's grace, you have believed the good tidings of Mega Karah, of great joy forever. Mega Karah is yours forever because your name is written in heaven just as he told the disciples. That's where you get your joy from. Before I close, let me say one more thing. I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone who is here tonight or listening on the internet. So let me ask you the most important question you will ever be asked. Have you believed the good tidings of great joy about Jesus? Have you ever personally asked God to forgive you for your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior and Lord? The answer is so important. So God is calling you today. He's reaching out through this pulpit. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and you will be saved. May God have mercy on you and give you the grace to be saved. Again, remember the beginning of the message, Luke 2, 10 and 11. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of mega karah, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we praise you for your amazing grace. We praise you, Lord, each one of us here who has been born again into your kingdom or listening out on the internet. We pray that we would appreciate the good tidings more and more and more. These good tidings of great joy, mega karah. And we would be known for our rejoicing in every way possible, that other souls might be saved and those who know you may be built up in the faith. And again, we pray that you come soon, Lord Jesus, and pray in your precious name. Amen.